0: Hi everyone, and welcome to VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I am Zia Yusuf, Senior Vice President of Strategic Ecosystem and Industry Solutions at VMware. And I'm pleased to share with you stories and trends from VMware partners, executives, and industry analysts. In this episode, you will hear part two of the great conversation I had with Luke Clifton, Group Executive at Macquarie Telecom. We discussed Macquarie's approach to working with partners, what keeps Luke inspired as a leader, and becoming an employer of choice by understanding what employees truly want out of their career. Enjoy the rest of the conversation now. I did go get a COVID puppy, a two-year-old, so an Aussie doodle, doodle, an Australian Shepherd and a poodle mix.
1: Is that actually a thing?
0: It is a thing, at least in the US. Labradoodles, golden doodles, Aussie doodles.
1: I've got a Groodle. So it's a, gold, a golden retriever and a poodle. A Groodle. And what do you call it? A Goodle. Aussie Doodle. An Aussie Doodle. Yes. I think that means something else in that And, and country. I'm not just
0: saying it because of this. But, uh, it's, it's, uh, he's been, and it's hypoallergenic. So anyway, right. that's a whole, whole different conversation. Right. How um, old is this dog? Just under two years.
1: And so. name? Uh, Ziggy. Ziggy. Yes. That's a good name. Ours is Hudson because I'm an Aliens fan. Remember the movie Aliens? I love that film. There you go, Ziggy Marley. I Um, think we've gone off script. No, no, it's all good. This is important. So, let's
0: spend a minute, if we could, on ecosystems. VMware, of course, we're part of an overall solution. It takes a village. You're a customer, but also a partner. Mm -hmm. How do you think about ecosystems, and not just the VMware side of it, but your broader
1: set of relationships? Has that thinking evolved in, in, in how you deliver an end solution? 100%. So, it comes firstly from a management perspective that says, we're going to deliberately be brilliant at a few things. And we're going to look to partner with other people that are brilliant in the other things that we're not choosing to be brilliant in, rather than to be a jack of all trades for everyone. And once you start from that philosophy, you then move into, well, what is our process to evaluate who is brilliant at the things that we would like to partner with? So we've got a holistic solution for a customer. So one of the things that we do, and I think I mentioned it to you, I'll be over to Palo Alto very shortly. We get on planes and we jump around the world and we look for the right partners and we look for the right tech to be able to bring that to market here in Australia. I mean, we're a small market in terms of the global sphere, but we want to punch well above our weight in terms of the innovation that we bring for our customers because many of our customers are competing on the global stage, so we need to be able to keep up with that. So firstly, we look for the tech. The next thing we look for is culture does the company that we're partnering with really get us and really get the type of customers that we're trying to go and win? And we spend a lot of time with people like yourself, Zia, and a lot of your fellow executives and peers to really make sure that we're well aligned with our joint objectives. And look, one of the challenges with that, and I'm sure many other companies see this as well, the metrics that determine my success might not be the same metrics that determine yours. So spending lots of time getting in room, going, hey, at, at the end of the year, how are you going to determine your success? This is what we're trying to measure our own success by, and can we get an alignment on these numbers? Because once you do that, that'll spill out a whole heap of projects that you can see a joint outcome from. So, so that last point, uh, I'm like, and I mentioned
0: this. We had a partner leadership summit here yesterday, where too many companies focus on what can you do for me? What's my slice of the pie? I'm getting 6.5%. You're getting 7%. You know, that's not fair, as opposed to the proverbial kind of size of the pie. And it's very important I mean, for VMware to truly understand what are the metrics that are important to you. We want you to build a significant VMware business. We will benefit from that. But if we just look at what we're getting and and just focusing on that, it never happens. So, I'm completely with you on that and, and, and glad you mentioned that. So to shift from the kind of a broader conversation, technology conversation, a little bit to Telecom and mm. the operations and, and a little bit your leadership. The last two years has had, again, because of the pandemic, so-called great resignation, if you will, mm. hybrid work, retaining people. It's interesting that the now former CEO, I guess, of DocuSign wrote a great article where he said, it's not about the great resignation, it's about the great embrace. We need to kind of not be concerned about people leaving. We need to really figure out how to keep them and how to make sure that we have a value proposition. So how has your leadership style or your leadership kind of operating model evolved in these last couple of years?
1: Gee, it's an interesting question. It's the barbecue stopping conversation of 2022, isn't it? How many companies are demanding that their staff are coming back to work? What days are they coming back to work? Are people burnt out after COVID and looking just for a natural change? Does the great resignation mean that they're resigning from us and going to a competitor or are they doing a sea change and changing industries altogether? These are the rich tapestry of conversations that we're having with staff. And by the way, I don't think there's one answer to that question. I think the answer is listening, because in the past, I think we've taken staff management to be a paint by a roller situation rather than paint by a brush. What do I mean by that? Well, you can't just have one policy now for all of your staff and paint it with a brush. You've got to sit down individual by individual. What are you looking for out of your career with our organisation? What are you looking to achieve during your time with us? And even if we can't satisfy that, how do we make sure that we're still embracing your needs during the time that you are with us? I think if you can take that approach, then you become an employer of choice for other people that might be looking to come into an organization like us, even though you might be losing some staff at the back end. Every customer I'm speaking to, every partner that I'm speaking to was seeing a lot of turnover of staff inside their organizations. So I think it is about trying to embrace the staff that are there, but acknowledging you're not gonna keep everyone. And by the fact, you're never going to keep everyone. You're going to, and that's healthy for an organization, too. But it's also allowing the conversation to happen between staff members and, their, and the organization about what are you looking to achieve in your career during the period of time that you're with our company and really understand that down to the individual level.
0: And, and it's interesting, I mean, the, the switching costs have almost gone down to zero. I mean, you can end up on a Friday, put your laptop in a FedEx or DHL box, send it away you're disconnected from your email, you enjoy the weekend. Monday morning, you get another laptop, you have a URL, Correct. you sign up, and you change your job for 20000 30000 more or whatever it is. And that certainly is, is a challenge. Do you have a policy on work from home, coming to the office?
1: Are you enforcing something? I'm really passionate about this issue yeah. because we know we're better together. And one of the deep frustrations that we store with staff when they were working from home was the lack of actual face-to-face interaction, was causing a different type of burnout. I'll talk to my IT staff, mm-hmm. well, let's go there. Normally what would happen if they were in the office and they had a problem, they could turn to you, Zia, and say, I've got this problem with this thing, and be solved within a minute. When they were working from home, they were having to book an appointment to do that with Zia for 15 minutes. Ahead. So even though they liked working from home, they found that their days were longer. They'd start at eight o'clock in the morning and not finish until nine o'clock at night, and they were suffering burnout. They didn't necessarily have all the skills in place to make sure that they'd blocked out certain times of the day to get that refresh. So we've actually moved to mandating that staff are back into the office on a Monday, Tuesday and Thursdays. And they're the days that we bring people in to collaborate because we know we're better together and you get more efficient with the time that you are working. Do you track that? Yeah, we do. And it's really important that we do do that because we also have a conversation with people that if you're not in the office on the day that I might need to speak to Zia on a Monday and you've chosen to work from home, then you've actually let the team down because they were depending on you to be there at and that is time. that
0: regardless of role
1: yes regardless of role me from the ceo all the way through to our receptionist is the way that we've embraced that now on the other side of that we've given permission for staff that will actually we enforce it that everyone works from home on a wednesday so on wednesday you work from home and we block out the diary after lunch on a wednesday it's your own private time to do whatever research you want to do write that proposal read that document just SWAT on some type of certification. So no internal meetings on a Wednesday afternoon. And then Friday, we make it optional whether you come into work or not. It's sort of Wednesdays and Fridays is work from home days. And that's worked really well. Now, is that the right answer for everyone? No, there's some people who don't like that. There's some people who love that. There are some people like me, because I'm sad like this. I would like to be at work every single day because I'm a people person. But we've built a business that's very much face-to-face. And it is about leadership and knowing what you stand for. And just going back to that other conversation on the great sort of resignation of yeah. the movement of stuff, I think sometimes we forget as organisations what our purpose is. Somebody asked me this question recently, I really liked it, which is what is culture to you? Because everyone's got a different definition on what culture is. But culture to me is, you know, on, on Sunday night and you're staying prepared for work the next day, you're looking forward to going to work or you just want to sleep in. Or maybe even worse, you've got that sick feeling in your stomach because you don't really want to go into work at all. I think that's culture for me if you've got a purpose for your organization you tend to swing your legs out of bed and want to go and do it anyway because it's fun that's the thing that i think we've got to concentrate on during this period of great uncertainty and trying to retain staff going back to your purpose and we're here to make a difference for our customers i I
0: agree with that and look i think we underestimate the apprenticeship and the mentorship aspect of this especially for people early in their careers first three four five years if you've only worked in a remote environment I think you lose out on a lot in terms of the learning, the collaboration. And there's a whole interesting discussion on innovation. Can you really innovate on Zoom or WebEx or whatever it is versus being in a room and
1: stuff? Well, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. I mean, how do you build a culture when everyone's remote? I think it's very difficult. So I I personally, I, I think VMware has a
0: flexible policy. I think there's, so we're not mandating coming in at this point, but I think we're encouraging people it's probably a couple of days a week. It differs by country and so on. I live close to our Palo Alto office, so I'm in you know at least three days a week. It's not Monday and Friday, but it's kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday seems to be becoming a little bit of the norm, but it's not 100% remote. And I think the innovation piece, if you're in a maintenance type of mode where you just have a job and you're kind of completing certain things, it may be okay. If you're innovating for the future, and you have to collaborate, no matter what the technology is and the online boards and stuff, I think that's a little tough.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. It's the collaboration piece. I've (laughs) often taken the view, and we tell staff this often, that the best things in life that you're going to go and achieve, almost categorically, you didn't do by yourself. You did it with somebody else. It could be your family, it could be somebody at work. And often it's an accident. It wasn't intended. Correct, and it's that magic of people coming together, grabbing a whiteboard, trying to solve a problem together, or nut out something. It's that collaboration piece i think whilst you can do that remotely and we've used all sorts of new tools to sort of make the most of what was a bad situation being at home a lot of people like working like that as well so again it's not paint by a roll or paint by a brush but i still think you miss something when people don't come together on a regular basis that's my view
0: so with all of these changes that have happened in the last two three years technology, work more, (laughs) getting to know your family, and that's been one of the positive sides. But Mm. obviously a lot of pain and suffering for people who've been impacted both economically and and health-wise. How have you personally kind of navigated through this? What has been some of the personal challenges for you and some of the
1: upsides? Well, if you break that down, I think there's the shock of what happened during COVID was profound on almost everyone that was affected by it. And having to adapt to that world was really difficult. I'll just take my example, I'm a people person. And then all of a sudden here in Australia, we were locked down and we weren't even able to see your neighbors. Now that was profoundly difficult for somebody like me. So being able to drive programs of work where you were able to bring people together virtually became critically important. So we were able to bring people together by doing all sorts of innovative things. One of our customers I think I mentioned was Domino's. So we arranged for the whole company to be sent a pizza at exactly the same time, right across the nation to bring people together. And we shared that experience online, bringing people together and not losing that because that cultural element, we drew down, I think, a lot of the cultural capital that we had invested in when people knew who we were and what we were about. But even then we're starting to get that turnover of staff and very difficult to induct people when they're remote. So we had to come up with new ways of thinking and touching and engaging people during that period of time. I think, therefore, it's just as important as we come back to work to reinforce how important it is to come back together. I gave this example recently when we had some staff grumbling about having to come back into the office three days a week. And I said, but let me just paint a picture for you. If this was 2019, I said to everyone, Two because days off. Work. You're allowed to work from home on Wednesdays and Fridays, and there's a brand new, and I'm not going to book any meetings on Wednesdays, and I only need you in the office on Monday. Like, you have all done high fives and gone, this is fantastic. So it's about a different way of reframing, because it's a learned behavior, it's an attitude, and leadership and leading by example in that environment becomes critically important.
0: We had an extraordinarily successful career. As you can think about your growth journey and learning, How has that evolved in terms of how you learn? There's so much information. There's so many moving pieces. Has that approach evolved or changed at all?
1: So I don't know about you, but the further I've gone into my career, the more I've realized how little I know. And I think you start out your, your career trying to impress everyone with your knowledge. And then very quickly over time, you realize that that's not the whole answer. So I would hope over time I've become more mm. humble with being able to come to work and go, I know the right answer here and getting people in the rooms going, what do you think? And tell me what you would do in this situation. I hope that's uh, been one of the key touch points of my own career. And then I approach learning from that perspective, knowing that I probably don't know the right answer and being vulnerable enough to you know, put that forward and say, hey, I need some help here. Even as a senior leader, it's been a really quite effective model for me and it's helped me avoid some really bad mistakes I think that I would have made had I been a little bit more headstrong. But also letting people know what you stand for, because they need a lens and they need some parameters to be able to give you the right advice. So in other words, we know where Luke is sort of wanting to go. He's bumping off the bumper rails here a little bit, but we can steer him in the right direction as an organisation you can get to the right outcome. I think that's probably been primarily one of my major learnings. And just listening, just listening more. I spend a lot of my time driving To and from work on the phone just listening talking to staff and customers i find that fascinating i think i've become a better listener i think i don't know you probably need to ask my wife (laughs) she would probably argue with me not
0: i have two daughters and as they were growing up i said there's a reason god has given you two ears and one mouth it's like listen twice as much you can learn a lot there's too many times in meetings where people feel that they need to talk and it's amazing as you just kind of step back and look at the dynamics and really give everybody a voice and and, and try and understand what that is. Any failures or mistakes you're most proud of and what you learned from it?
1: I think my biggest failures in the past of not acting soon enough when I had a gut feel that I knew what the right thing was to do. Probably procrastinated for Mm. too long. I read a wonderful book recently, it was called 4,000 Weeks. Can't remember the author, but 4,000 Weeks. What's 4,000 Weeks mean to you? Uh, A lot of repetition, and that's the first thing that came into my mind. 4,000 Weeks is if you live for the average lifespan how long you have on the planet is that a week or a sleep no that's that's just so you take what 80 years worth of life times it by 52 you come up with four thousand weeks right and so that's all you've got and then when you actually break that down go actually that's not a lot because a week flies by doesn't it goes by oh my goodness and so i now worry about procrastination i now worry about looking at that week And really, was I able to move the ball forward? Did I get achieved the things that I need to get achieved? And it's even worse when you start, I'm 50, and you start to look, at well, how many weeks do I have left? And this issue of that gnawing feeling in your gut of something that you need to do, need to say, need to learn, need to achieve, need to tick off, need to spend time with, becomes critically important when you break it down into weeks. That's been a really quite profound thinking for me. So if I look back on my failures, it's been just stuff that I knew I should have done and I sat on it, I don't know why. So I, yeah, that, that's probably my biggest learning.
0: And so, I mean, while all of this is going on, how do you center yourself? How do you relax and, and kind of re-energize yourself?
1: A couple of things. You've always got to go back to your purpose. What gets you out of bed in the morning and what are you trying to achieve? And if you're really clear on what that is, and for me, it's always about making a difference. We are not the biggest telecommunication player in the Australian market but I know we punch above our weight and I know that we can make a difference to our industry and customers. You get a group of people that are aligned on that same journey, then that's a really energizing sort of way to swing your legs out of bed. But it's also, you need to then balance that with making a difference in all sorts of other ways. If you have a concept in your head that my job in life is to make a difference for other people or customers or your family, or whatever it is, then it really just centers you then, okay, where am I spending my time and how am I making a difference? And then you turn that back in. I'm a big believer now of New Year's resolutions. Hmm. Just do, do you keep them? Yeah, I do. I really how like, many do you make? Like one, two, 10? I love this story. I had this conversation with my dad. My mum passed away about 10 years ago, and he was in a bit of a funk after a couple of years of grieving. I said, come on, Dad, what, what are you doing? We need to get out and about. you need to start doing things again. He goes, no, no, you're right. I said, you need to get some hobbies. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know you're right. I said, oh, well, what, what hobbies do you do? And I went. I didn't have any. Right? I had just my work and my family. So every year now I pick one thing to do, just one thing to do. And I do that in that year. So I, it was run a marathon one year. Uh, take up yoga was another. I used to play the piano really well when I was a kid. So I went and bought a piano this year and taking piano lessons awesome. again. Just, just one thing. And that's the way I find to center myself to make a difference for me, but then also just living that purpose of getting out of bed and making a difference for other people. It just reinforces it.
0: What inspires you to both in, in your work, but just kind of, you've talked about purpose now a few times, which is fantastic. But what's your personal North Star?
1: Yeah, I think, Z, you would see this as well. Like doing do, doing what we're doing right now, I think makes a difference, right? Putting your fingerprints on things and then noting where you could see your fingerprints in the past, be it with another person, or be it in an organization, or be it in your family relationships, putting your own fingerprints. They, oh, that's a Luke Clifton thing? Yeah. That motivates me. That's my North Star. If you're not making a difference, if you're not leaving your fingerprints on something, if somebody else could have done it, then it's not really that special, is it?
0: One last question. If you were to start a new company today, what would you do? Oh, wow. And it doesn't have to be tech-related. What what would you, if you were to
1: kind of reset? Well, I know what would be for you. You'd play cricket, wouldn't you? For that, you need skill, not just high (laughs) cricket. Cricket coaching. I just recently came back from doing a driving tour down to South Australia where we've got some fantastic wineries. And just seeing the breadth and scope of our local produce and what our nation can produce in terms of quality wine. I'd probably open a wine shop. I'd probably drink it all. We'd make no money. But yeah, just seeing something very different from what I've done today. Yeah, that's probably what I would do. And then show the world the capabilities of what we've got as a nation globally. Yeah, I'd do that.
0: Well, you've got six more months till the next New Year's. Thank you for this time. This has been a great conversation. Thank you also for the partnership between Macquarie and VMware. We're doing really interesting things in the market. Clearly, we have customers that are providing value to their end customers, and that's fantastic to see. And you have demonstrated over and over again your leadership and thoughtfulness in thinking through this. So look forward to staying in touch and and really appreciate the time.
1: Zia, thank you so much for your time. I'd like to thank VMware as well. The partnership is rich, it's growing, And it's only been able to be achieved by the quality of people that have engaged with us. I wanted to thank you and your team and the whole VMware team.
0: And we're back. It was fascinating to hear Luke's take on hybrid work and building culture within a company. And I hope you enjoyed learning about his career path, growth as a leader, and why he's a fan of making New Year's resolutions. I hope you enjoyed this insightful conversation too. To learn more about VMware, please visit vmware.com to connect with Luke. You can find him on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe, follow, and review VMware's Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware and our partners, please visit the Partner Executive Edge page on vmware.com. I'm Zia Youssef. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.